Lord God, it is my humble prayer to you this morning, Lord, that the Holy Spirit lead us, that through the words that you have given us this morning in your written word, your infallible word, that we see the truth that comes through of what you would have us to know and to understand, Lord, about you, the one true Christ. I pray, Lord, that you give me clarity, that you allow the ears that hear this message, Lord, and myself to understand it is truly you that are always in charge, and it is you that have brought us to the point of servanthood under your leadership. We thank you again for allowing us to be here this morning, Lord, and for returning those of our congregation that were apart from us for the last week back together with us safely. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. What I'm going to do through this message is first what I want to do is read the scripture, give an explanation as clearly as I can about what God's word said, says, and then I want to give application to it, to how I believe it says to us that we dare compare our lives to Christ. I'm reading now from chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to preach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brothers of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his home, own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. We're going to look at, uh, first at verses 1 and 2 together. And what we see, first of all, is that it, calls out, it says that this was Jesus' hometown. But it actually does not say that. It does not say that it is Nazareth. But other places in, the, in the God's word it does. In Mark 1, verse 9, it says he came from Nazareth. In Matthew 2.23, it says, Joseph took his family there, meaning after they came up out of uh, Egypt, he was told to take his family to a safe place and to live, and that was Nazareth. Matthew 21.11 say, says, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And in Acts 22, verse 8, Jesus' own words say, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you, whom you are persecuting. And we all know that that's Jesus' own words to Paul. We also see that as he's coming into Nazareth, his hometown, he comes as a rabbi, as a teacher. And what, what is interesting about that is the manner of what we know about rabbis and, and how they would travel from town to town uh, they would have with them those that they were teaching. 
And, and Jesus fits that description because he had his disciples with him. And it says that he went to the synagogue, and on the day of the Sabbath, he was teaching there, which would not be unusual for a visiting rabbi or teacher to do, with his disciples there. So to that point, we see that, that Jesus is, looks like what we would think as a typical Jewish religious leader coming to his hometown and to preach. But right away, the first thing that happens among his own people, the people that should know him, is they say, to, they say among themselves, where did this man get these things? Well, should that be so unusual? I mean, granted, he, he, he was a rabbi or a teacher, but was he the rabbi that they were thinking of? And what we have to understand is what they would know would be somebody that has spent their whole life in training to be a teacher, to be a religious leader. And we have evidence of that in other places in the scripture because we know that uh, Paul himself, when he was talking about being a Pharisee, he said, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. Next generation, coming from one Pharisee, one teacher, one preacher to another. Does that really apply to Jesus? Paul also said in Acts 26, verses 4 and 5, as he was in front of King Agrippa, he said, My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nations and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest party of religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. It took him from his youth to become what he was in that preacher. And we see now that Jesus doesn't really fit that description of what a teacher should be. The next question after that, and by what authority? How could he do these works? Where is this coming from? And they know that because they're in the synagogue and what they have been taught, that there's only two places that authority and mighty works can come from. They're either of God or they're demonic. If we look back just a few chapters in chapter 3, this isn't the first time that Jesus came to his hometown and spoke. But the last time that he was there, his own family, his brothers and sisters, tried to pull him aside because they thought that he was crazy. That isn't a real good personal recommendation for what you're saying, especially in your hometown. So even to the point that his brothers and sisters had already questioned him, must have led the people to understand, ask the question, where is this coming from? Verse 3. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters and his brothers with us? and they took offense at him. This is the beginning of their criticism 
and what comes to be their accusations against his authority and who, his, who he is. The first one is they say that he is a carpenter. Well, in Jewish tradition at that time, manual labor and being a carpenter were not bad things. Jewish people were not afraid to work. And in the context of being a carpenter, it doesn't necessarily mean that, that he made things out of wood. It could have been that he was also a stonemason because the word would mean the same. That wasn't the point. What they knew was for 30-some years of his life before this, they knew he, that he was a carpenter. He was in their midst. How could that then tie into what they know as a teacher that you were start, supposed to start with from youth? It doesn't make sense to them. The next thing that they say negative about him is they refer to him, isn't that Mary's son? This one, when I was studying uh, for this message, is probably the one that the commentators and uh, had the most to say about because there are so many theories. What were they really trying to say about being Mary's son? One commentator said that this must be Mark's subtle way of putting in that there was a virgin birth because all it speaks of is Mary. No father, so it must have been the virgin birth as what was said in the Bible or proclaimed. Well, that really doesn't work because nowhere else in Mark's account does he ever even speak about Jesus' birth. He starts out as a man. Another part of it might be that they didn't know him all that well. And it's actually a question. Is this Mary's son? We don't, we don't know. Another thing would be in their culture at that time, always was a man referred to by his father. He is the son of his father. This could also be part of what would be saying is, was he an illegitimate son? Or all these rumors that we've heard all these years about how this Jesus came about, is it true? At the very least, all the things that they thought about and went through, is Jesus really the son of this Joseph that is dead? Anything that they were pointing to was not to be anything less than critical to his nature and to who he was. This was more than just a subtle, subtle put down. They have already started to undermine who this Jesus is. And back to his brothers and sisters again, what it says in this, uh, in this verse, like we said before, if they thought he was crazy then, they probably haven't changed their opinion much now. There's no evidence at this time that they were ever believers. And they took offense at him. In the commentator, commentation by uh, the Gospel according to Mark by James R. Edmonds, he writes, the offense of verse 3 verifies 
that the amazement of the people in Nazareth is not one of faith, but disbelief and opposition. They heard the words. They even said, isn't this the one that have done, has done the, the mighty works? But none of it registered or gave any credibility to Jesus himself. Because of who the people of Nazareth perceived Jesus to be or not to be has made them unwilling to accept Jesus as his message. Accept his message. Verse 4. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. This probably can be referred to as a proverb. It doesn't necessarily always have to be true, but in most instances, it can be. Jesus, for the first time, in this gospel is referring to himself as a prophet. What do we know about prophets? They are somebody used by God to deliver a message, usually to people that don't want to hear it, about something that probably is going to happen in the future, or if you don't do this, this will happen in the future, and usually are not taken seriously until after they die or after something has come true. This is what Jesus is saying about himself. Aren't I, like this prophet, coming to you? Another unique thing about what Jesus is saying here is we have to look at the words, except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own household. He starts with a circle. He starts with his community the rejection in his community. Then he comes down a little bit smaller among his own relatives, brings it down to the basis of his own household. That is who he is saying will reject him, that prophet. Verse 5. And he could do no mighty works there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. Unbelief exclude the people of Nazareth from dynamic disclosure of God's grace that others had experienced. It is a lack of faith that keeps those from seeing the miracles that God is willing to perform. R. Kent Hughes wrote in Preaching the Word, this is his quote, let me make it clear. Jesus could not do miracles because he would not. Omnipotence, one of those omni words meaning all-powerful, omnipotence is not omnipotence if it is bound by anything but its own will. Jesus was morally compelled not to show his power. Matthew makes this clear. Reading from Matthew 13, 58. And he did not do any miracles there because of their lack of faith. Unbelief freezes the exercise of God's power. Verse 6. 
And he marveled because their unbelief, and he went about among the villages teaching. He marveled about their great unbelief. Can you imagine that Jesus Christ, what we said was last week, the ruler and creator of the universe, was marveled by unbelief? That he has an emotion like we do, that, that something can give us the wow factor that bad? And it was over unbelief. But you know what? We, we, shouldn't be that dis we shouldn't be that surprised because it didn't take long in God's book, the Bible, to see that happen. In Genesis 6, verses 5 and 6, listen to what it says. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. That emotion of sorrow so big, so deep, that even disbelief was a marvel to him. But we think that's pretty negative for God to have that emotion, and it is. But we have to also look on the other side of it, because we know that when the, the centurion came to Jesus and asked him, Jesus, would, would you heal my, my servant? He's, he's at my house. And, and Jesus said, uh, okay, I'll, I'll come there. And the centurion, being a soldier, said, no, you don't even have to do that. If, if, if you give an order or just speak the words like I do to those that I'm in charge of, I know that it'll be done. I know that it will happen. And my servant will be taken care of. And listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 8. He marveled and said, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. The marvel of unbelief can be countered on, or, or turned 180 by God being marveled at the faith of, his, of the followers that do serve him. And last of all, it says, he continued to preach and go to other villages. All of that being said in our scripture, I go back to the question that I said before. Do I dare, do you dare compare our lives, my life, to the earthly life of Jesus? And I say, yes. But it wasn't personally easy for me to say that. See, one thing that I have learned with reading and being with Pastor John is uh, so many of the things that we read and study as pastors tell us the first place that our message goes is to our heart and how God speaks to us, and how it is revealed through his word and comes to us. That was the reason for last week's message to me that was spoken to my heart that says, no matter what there is, no matter what the uncertainty is, if you only think that you see the light at the end of the tunnel, remember that I'm the light of the world. 
You don't have to have fear. But then the other question came about, well, if, if I'm, I'm willing to let go of the fear, God, if I look at your word, the people that I have been around and among, my hometown, the people that have known me for 17 years in this congregation, how are they ever going to accept me as a teacher? This lesson can, we can use is either way. We can say to ourselves, they rejected Jesus. They definitely will reject me. I might as well stay where I'm at. Or we can proclaim what God says is, they will reject you, but do it anyway. Be a faithful servant. Let's look and see application-wise how that comes about and how God, God's word strengthened me and gave me the understanding of his will in my life to continue with this journey that I have in my life, which has come to the point of saying, will you accept the responsibility of elder? First thing. Everyone has a before and after. Jesus had a before and after when he was supposed to be a carpenter and then became a preacher. We don't know a lot about that interim part of that 30 years when, when Jesus was a, a carpenter and then turned to, to his ministry, but we do know that he led a perfect life, so he was already ministering his whole life. He was already doing the will of the Father. And we have to understand that what we were, were before or during our lives were always bivocational. We're doing something else in our life, whether it's being a mom, a dad, or a, a daughter, a, a son, an employee, whatever that is, we're, all, we're always being teachers of God's word if we're faithful to what he has called us to do. That before and after for us is called Christianity. When we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when our lives have been changed in a way that we are willing to say, God, whatever you have for me, I will do. And we understand that in that time that we're going through that, like the Bible says, we start out with milk. That's what we need to nourish us. But we better challenge ourselves and let the Holy Spirit and God work through us so that we go to solid food and move on and we grow. Remember what I said about the three rings and how they're coming smaller and smaller. Let's go to that last one. And you go among your own household. And how God marveled in two ways. Usually two things are going to happen. When people see a change in you, and you step out by faith and say, I will do that for you, Lord. Those that do not profess to be Christians and have not had their heart enlightened are going to say things like, boy, that guy got religion. <laughs> boy, he, if you were part of the 70s, boy, they sure turned into a Jesus freak. 
he got pretty radical over the Lord, didn't he? Well, they probably won't say the Lord because that would show some submissiveness, but they would say, he sure got God. Whatever it would be, they would probably be very negative toward you. But those that have known you, that are of the faith, and see that you have come to a different point in your life, they're going to be marveled by what God has done in your life. They're going to be the ones that are encouraging you and lifting you up as you them because you've seen it in their lives. Don't allow the devil to take our past, my past, and use it against us and keep throwing it up to us. It's one of his best tools to keep us ineffective. We always are going to want to, he's going to want to say to us, you remember how you were don't believe it because God does not remember it. The only one that does is the devil and he wants us to. God says it's as far as the east is from the west. Next. Jesus did not demand honor and recognition. He came to sow the word not to reap accolades. We should do the same. Folks, very honestly, I cringe when I see somebody that says they have a ministry and their name is part of that ministry. <laughs> when I see a billboard and the largest thing on the billboard is the picture of the individual. God's name might never be mentioned there. Or a reference to scripture, nothing other than their ministry. Somewhere along the line, that got self-serving. I realize that God's word can be a commodity that is preached and taught and used for the advancement of individuals and to make money. That's not what Jesus was saying, and that's not what we're talking about when we are serving him. I found it interesting that one of the commentators said, what he has usually seen is when he goes to a seminar or he goes to some place where somebody special is going to be the guest speaker, the farther they've come away from that location, probably the more important they are. Well, evidently, that's the part that they missed with Jesus when he came back to his own hometown. He didn't travel very far. He came back to where he was. They must not have seen the importance of who he was. Real honestly, this is how this sounds. When we, as individuals, no matter who we are, get self-absorbed by supposedly what we're doing for God. It would sound like this. Uh, my, my name is Richard Taglauer, and um, I'm a senior elder over at Bangor um, Kiesel Road Church and International Faith Center. <laughs> and uh, one of my assistants is uh, Johnny Botkin. <laughs> he's, he's the junior elder. 
Well, actually, I'm, I'm senior because probably the oldest guy in the building, and, and he's, <laughs> he's junior because uh, he's, he's just a little over 30. And then we have uh, Elder Joe Blaylock, who's uh, presently on special assignment uh, in the Middle East, uh, heading up our overseas missionary uh, team. <laughs> what that did was that brought attention to who? Me, and just me. It was self-serving, it's what I have accomplished or think that I have accomplished, and usually not much of it is true. God has been left out of everything. It's very easy for us to have happen, and it's, we are to make sure that it doesn't happen. This is what we should be thinking about. Our call to preaching God's word to each and every individual is the same. Whether we are the person that came from the farthest distance to give the special lecture at some type of event, whether we are a pastor at a 5,000-person megachurch, whether we are a mom or a dad or a grandma or a grandma, grandma or grandpa, using God's word as a nighttime, bedtime story to one of our children or grandchildren, it's all the same. Our purpose is to serve God to the best of our ability by preaching his word through the power of the Holy Spirit to change lives so that people can come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. No more, no less. One other thing. Pastors, teachers, those that lead us and help us to grow want feedback from individuals that they are with. Pastors want to know how they're doing. And it isn't to puff themselves up and say, boy, I, didn't I do a good job today? No, they want to know, was I reaching anybody? And what I, what, is what I'm doing effective? Case in point, last week, after the service, an individual said to me, between Sunday school and the message today, I sure got fed. God was really speaking to me. I needed to hear that. When we hear back from others and those amongst our group, we realize whether we're doing something wrong or actually if people are listening and becoming closer in their walk with the Lord. Next point. If the world and his hometown rejected Jesus Christ, they will also reject his disciples, including us. This scripture should be enough of a lesson for us to understand that we are going to be rejected by those that we minister to. This world doesn't necessarily want to hear what God has to say. And if that wasn't clear enough, listen to what God's word says, Luke 10, verse 16. The one that hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who has sent me. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, know that it was hated. It hated me before it hated you. John 12, verse 48. And the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. 
The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but on the Father who sent me has himself given a command, what to say, what to speak. And I know his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. We can only do what the Father has allowed us and given us the authority to do. And under what Jesus has said, that's everything. Finally, we labor for and to the glory of the one eternal God. We as individuals are to understand that we may have physical limitations. We may be in the same midst of people that we have known all our life. And that rejection might come about, but like Jesus showed us, that should never stop us from being faithful to him. He will equip us, he will lead us, he will challenge us, and we don't have to worry about whether the fruit of his word has been sown by us because we have nothing to do with it. It's his power. Oh, that we would understand like Peter and John did when they were told that they were uneducated and common men, but they still astonished those that heard them. And all that they could do when they were told, don't preach anymore, don't say the name of Jesus, is that's all we can do. We will preach and we will preach Christ crucified. When we have come to that point, when we understand that if we are willing, God will use us even in the midst of our own household, even in the midst of people that we have known and worked with for years, we will truly understand what he told his disciples and tells us today. Jesus said, all authority that heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, for, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We can do no less. We continue now by singing our next hymn of praise, Teach Me, O Lord, I Pray. <laughs> 